When I go round to see my parents these days, my dad is often asleep in his armchair. And he's going, on, going to be 90 next year. Uh, and there's often a moment of disorientation as he realises he's got a visitor. But I'm sure he's not the only one who likes an afternoon nap. In fact, in the last few years, I've found myself drifting off to sleep when I watch the TV news after an e the evening meal. And when my adult children are visiting and this happens, they think it's enormously funny. Um, maybe I do something embarrassing while I'm asleep that I don't know about. The Jewish people were in a kind of sleep when John the Baptist burst onto the scene, according to our gospel reading for this morning. Actually, they'd been living in a kind of nightmare for centuries, ever since the exile in 587 BC. Since then, they'd experienced a succession of rulers who had just marched into Israel and taken over. The most recent, of course, were the Romans who annexed Israel as a client kingdom of Rome uh, under General Pompey in 63 BC. Now, a hundred years later, things have become utterly intolerable for the Jews. They suffered the burden of taxation. That money, of course, was used to pay for the very troops that occupied them. That was especially galling. They were unable to practice the religion and their national life as they wished. They were intensely frustrated and chafed at their occupation. And so they agitated and they waited and they prayed that God would reverse their fortunes. And the focus of this hope settled on a single figure who was foretold in their sacred scriptures. They believed that God would send his anointed one, the Messiah, to save them and free them from their enemies. So into this cauldron of frustration mixed with hope, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness adjacent to the Jordan River. Now, John was actually a very disturbing and alarming figure. He wore rough clothing. He had a rough diet, although the honey would have been reasonably nice. And he had a rough message. And it was this. Wake up from the nightmare. Wake up and straighten out your lives. The day of our salvation is almost upon us. There's a standing joke in the UK that uh, some here might be able to verify this. But the standing joke goes that whenever the queen visits a town, she smells fresh paint. In other words, people smarten up their communities when they know royalty is coming. They put their best foot forward and get their act together. And it was like that for John. His message was, royalty is about to arrive. Get ready. Mark's gospel paints an interesting picture of John the Baptist. He is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist is a pointer, a forerunner, and a witness to Jesus. Note the wording of the prophecy in verse 3. John the Baptist was to prepare the way for who? The Lord. The royal figure who was on his way was none other than God himself. Prepare the way of the Lord. Now, during the Exodus, when God's people escaped from slavery in Egypt, you recall that God was present to the people in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In John's day, he was announcing a new kind of Exodus. And in this new Exodus, John was saying that the Lord would baptize the people with the Holy Spirit. In other words, 
The presence of God represented in the cloud and the fire is the first exodus. That And then the Lord's presence would then settle within God's people. John foresees that the ministry of Jesus would open the way for the living God to dwell within his people by his spirit. They would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist was a, a disturbing figure, calling people to wake up from their nightmare, get ready for the coming of the Lord. Although this involved repentance from sin, it was ultimately going to be good news because of the promise that with the coming of the Lord, the Spirit would dwell within his people as God's living presence. So they would live with courage and with joy and with love. Now, the current pandemic has been an enormous wake-up call for the whole world. We were drifting along in a kind of dream world of consumption, of exploitation of the world's resources, of climate change, of racism. Now, many of these things have bubbled up in a most alarming way in recent months and in the last year or so. Failed states and broken democracies. And the pandemic shook us awake and made us think about deeper things. What is the ultimate meaning of life? What is the purpose of my life? In whom do we put our trust? So many people have failed who are official leaders in our world. And where does our true hope lie? When the small purposes of life are stripped away from us, like our freedom, our security, and in some cases, our livelihoods, when there's an enormous disruption to our lives, many people have felt the need to look for a deeper purpose. And some will no doubt feel that they can find it in, for example, a more caring community, and we have seen this. Or family relationships. Families have, I've noticed, have drawn together and drawn strength from, from their family relationships. Or more sustainable work, or simply being more resilient. But others will look even deeper still and seek after the true and living God who undergirds our lives, the earth, and everything that exists. This is the God we worship, the God of all being. I was speaking to a chap just a few days ago about this very thing. It was a fascinating conversation. He appears to be in the process of seeking the reality of God. And he said to me that he started out on this quest because he began to think that it might be real. I thought that was an intriguing phrase. It might be real. In other words, that God might be real and that God's love for us might be real and that the whole Christian proposition that the physical world is not all there is, but that there is another realm that God's kingdom might be real. But the intriguing thing is that together we identified the need for both reality on the one hand and experience on the other. In other words, the Christian faith needs to be anchored in history and reliability and rationality on the one hand, but at the same time it needs to be real. I'm talking about a lived experience of God. God needs to be a living reality within our lives. So you see the interplay between truth and experience, between things that can be objectively looked at and the things that we hold within our hearts that are precious and real and transformative, between tangible things 
that can be verified, and intangible things that are full of personal meaning. And you know, a local church such as ours can gain traction within the wider community when both these factors are present, with an emphasis on the truth and reliability of our faith and the transforming presence of the Holy Spirit within our hearts. This is what Bishop uh, Graham Tomlin called the provocative church. When we don't have to shout louder, in fact, it's most unpleasant when Christians do get all, you know, shouty, as it were, and we don't actually have to try too hard at all because we simply show forth in our lives both the truth and the reality of God. So you see, at the right time, God sent his son into the world. At the time, his people were living a kind of double nightmare. Politically, they were dominated by a foreign power. But morally and spiritually, they were also in a state of disobedience and wrongdoing. They had lost their calling and needed someone like John the Baptist to wake them up so that they could get ready for the coming of the Lord. You know, I detect the beginnings of a new season for the church. I'm an eternal optimist. I like seeing the positives. But I think God is calling us to open our eyes to the many opportunities that exist now. You see, for decades, Christianity has been maligned by her opponents. And many Christians have felt insecure about their faith. And in some cases, they've been unwilling even to own their faith publicly. But the pandemic has been a kind of reset for many people. The things we've grown used to that have provided convenience and pleasure and, dare I say it, distractions, have been removed. It's a wake-up call. And John the Baptist is a salutary figure for us today. He's a wild, coarse figure that has disturbed our reverie. He's like the global pandemic. He is in our faces and has shaken us awake. And as we've been roused, we've looked around at the world and at our communities in a different way. What is real? What is trustworthy? What is ultimately good and true? And the answer John the Baptist supplied was Jesus Christ. The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. So who is this Jesus whom, God, whom John announced? He says that Jesus is powerful, more powerful than I. He is worthy, and he fills us with his spirit. This is the Lord whom John announced. God himself in human form has come into his world. And that's the most exciting good news we could ever imagine. When we suddenly wake up from sleep, we often feel disorientated, don't we? But disorientation itself is not necessarily a bad thing. It can feel uncomfortable at first, but if it leads to a greater appreciation of reality, then it must be good. If it leads to being confronted with our finitude and our need for God, then it must be good. If it leads to an experience of the truth and the reality of God, then it must be good. 
a new post-COVID world is emerging. It will be different from the time before. Are you wistfully hankering for what life was like before COVID arrived? Unwilling to be roused, denying the new reality? Or are you open to personal change and engagement with God in the world that is emerging? Are you seeking God? Our deepest purpose, our fullest meaning, and our ultimate hope. Amen.